KRCL, Salt Lake City. In honor of Volunteer Appreciation Month, everyone here at the station wants to say thank you to the countless number of volunteers that make KRCL, KRCL. From 1979 to 2022 and beyond, we would not be here without our dedicated volunteers. Whether you're a DJ, you're out hauling the tent all summer, or you're on the board or answering phones during Radiothon, it all goes to making KRCL what we all know and love today. I'm Nick Burns, and this is Radioactive. And we are, of course, every weeknight, your show for grassroots activists, for community builders, for punk rock farmers, and for DIY creatives everywhere. Tonight on the show, I want to talk about and get an update from the University of Utah Prison Education Project. Pretty exciting. Uh, most listeners know that I work at Salt Lake Community College. I have a strong connection to our prison program, but want to chat with Aaron Castro about what they're doing up at the University of Utah. Pretty fantastic. Then we're going to get into, oh, something dear to my heart because I grew up in Michigan, and that is unions, and specifically unions at Starbucks right here in Utah in Cottonwood Heights. Have two baristas with us who are prime movers and shakers in unionizing the Cottonwood Heights Starbucks. So if you believe in a union and you're okay with corporate coffee like Starbucks, um, I do have a weakness for cappuccinos. We're gonna talk with them on the show. And then later, Laura Jones is gonna run with a panel. Gonna look at the Great Salt Lake. We're gonna look at solutions put forward by high school debaters. And some of those debaters will join this panel because hey, it's the youth. They might as well have a voice in all this. And a reminder that this panel is part of Radioactive's commitment to the Great Salt Lake Collaborative, a solutions journalism initiative where our collective aim is to partner across news, education, and media organizations to inform you all about the Great Salt Lake. But right now, Erin Castro, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here in great company with union organizers. Oh. If only we could all put our fists up on the radio and have everybody see it. Um, but let's get into what you do because it's pretty amazing. You are the director of the University of Utah Prison Education Project. You're also an associate dean in community engagement and access of undergraduate studies. And then on top of all that, you're an associate professor in higher education, educational leadership and policy. So congrats because I imagine you never sleep. But <laughs> Well, seriously, higher education these days, education K through 12 all the way up, it seems like we all just work and don't sleep. But that's not the topic I wanna to ask about. It just seems really intriguing to me and extremely powerful that your prison education project at the U is folded into community engagement and access. I think that's amazing. Yeah, I, I, I'm about ready to drop the title of director. Um, okay. Couldn't be more excited. We are, um, we just fresh signed paperwork to hire our very first uh, full time paid director um, of prison education. Um, and that is part of a bigger move into community engagement programming here at the university. So I think it's to your point, an absolute fit. It's where these programs belong. Um, our incarcerated uh, folks are our community. Um, and 
So we should be, uh, you know, reaching out and serving them in much the same way that we reach out to, you know, other community members. Um, and I will say that, you know, part of what's exciting about this move too is we're going to be partnering with um, Project STEMCAP, which right now is in six juvenile facilities across the state of Utah, um, providing science-based workshops, boot camps, and lectures. Um, and then we're also combining forces with Project Inspire, which is at our uh, local county jail doing conservation work. And so it's it's a it's an exciting move organizationally, and it's also kind of fortifying, bringing all of us together under one umbrella to kind of do this important work. And we probably should take a minute to give a shout out to the Utah Legislature, which I know probably on this show is a thin a thin soup, but the legislature has in the last few years given base funding and support to these kinds of prison education projects, and I think that's something we should all remember in the midst of all else. What does it mean to you that here you are at the University of Utah, which is the flagship university, having this prison program? You know, at the community college, for me, we've been doing this for years. We had faculty teaching at the prison back in the early aughts after the Olympics. Mm -hmm. But this seems pretty exciting for, you know, what's a flagship R1 university? I couldn't agree more, um, and I think uh, I think we're well poised to to lead out on some of these things. Certainly not alone. I think we've got a robust higher education network here in the state, and I I think we need more colleges and universities in this space. And I'm hopeful that with increased legislative attention and some resources that we can pull. Um, that we can pull these institutions into the fold to do the work well, um, you know, to make sure that we're providing the highest quality programming and experiences that we possibly can and not just kind of, um, you know, thinking of incarcerated people as an afterthought. Um, but I agree with you. I think in terms, if we look across the country, you know, the majority of colleges and universities we see in this space are two-year institutions, and that makes absolute sense. Um, the second biggest are four-year private institutions. And because of their, you know, kind of ability to access resources and philanthropic dollars, that makes sense. I would love to see our research in in intensive institutions grow. Um, and I think, you know, we uh, certainly in the PAC-12 are not the first um, to, to have one of these programs. And so I'm hopeful that kind of leading out here in Utah and kind of bringing others in, we can see more uh, research-focused institutions in this space as well. Yeah, and and don't don't let me sound bitter, but it seems to me the University of Utah is very visible in some ways that the community college isn't. So to have you involved, I think that naturally leads to some ink and some greater awareness and probably more help for those incarcerated to be in college. So shout out to all of that. Um, is this men's and women's prison, you know, both? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, and just as a side note as well, you know, we have a we have a number of people who are incarcerated in men's facilities who don't identify as men, and a number of people who are incarcerated in women's facilities who don't identify as women. And so I think we um, we are currently serving um, students in five facilities in Draper, and we will continue to serve those same student populations at the new prison. So. Then the next question logically is what all are you offering? What can students enroll in? It's a great question. <laughs> uh, well, I think this also kind of just ties back to your, your mention of being at Salt Lake Community College. You know, I think 
there's there is a need and just like for students who are not incarcerated we need different pathways we need career and technical pathways we need two-year pathways we need stackable credentials right we need those exact same things inside the prison and for far too long um, incarcerated people have either not been afforded the opportunity for any higher education or they've been overexposed to certain tracks um, which is not courses that we provide, right? So if you look across by and large, 70% of higher education in prison at this point is career and technical education. And there's certainly a place for that. Um, but I think we should be really critical in asking questions about why we're not offering degrees in philosophy, why we're not offering degrees in social science. And so I think one of the things that we really try to be mindful of is we ask the students, what is it that you wanna take? What is it that you wanna learn? And then we try to match faculty um, who meet those requirements and who are eager to go in and teach. And we offer the class. Um, and we were able to offer our first credit bearing courses last year, which I'm just huh. thrilled to, to share. Um, University of Utah and BYU both came together. Um, and those classes were, um, gosh, the French Revolution, um, slavery in America, um, an intensive writing course. We are um, offering cell biology right now. Um, you know, it, it runs the gamut in terms of, of diversity. Um, so that's kind of exciting as well, because the students get to kind of dictate what it is that they want access to. Right. And I think too often for those of us in education, we might have a greater awareness than, fo than folks elsewhere, but too often there is sort of this tracking, right? You're incarcerated, so we'll teach you how to bang car fenders, um, stuff like that. I know our program primarily focuses on general education classes that students yep. can take anywhere. Everything from history of rock and roll to film studies. Yep. Um, I just visited a communication class um, at the men's unit a few months ago, pretty fantastic. Yep. Um, and all the culinary arts students um, made little hors d'oeuvres and dessert items for mm -hmm. all um, in class that night. Pretty cool stuff. It's, um, it's absolutely necessary. So are, is this something that you all offer year round or just fall and spring or, or how, how does the U structure this at Draper? Yeah. Yeah, good question. We go on the U's calendar. So we do okay. three semesters a year, fall, spring, and summer. Uh, we try to follow the U's calendar to as, you know, the best that we can in collaboration with the prison. Um, and we also, you know, try to coordinate as best we can with Salt Lake Community College, too, because we share many of the same students and we really want students to move through that associate's degree. And so, you know, if we know students need history of rock and roll on Monday night, we're not going to offer our class on Monday night so that students can prioritize that. Yeah, good point. For you, you know, you're also an associate professor in, in higher ed leadership and policy. What brought you to the prison program? It's a good question. Um, I actually started volunteering with the Education Justice Project when I was a grad student in Illinois, okay. um, which was at the University of Illinois, another flagship land grant research intensive. And I think I got a glimpse into, you know, you have these two entities that were never designed to talk to each other. Um, and if you got the right amount of people and the right people together in the room, you could make some really wonderful things happen. And so when I came out here in um, 2012, I realized that there wasn't a prison program and um, started asking some questions. And here we are 10 years later. 
Well, it's pretty exciting what you have going and, and I'm glad to hear that there is a partnership again between the different Yushi institutions because we're all part and parcel. And I also think we should just brag a little bit that in Utah, we, we have been one of the leading, I wanna say test cases to give Pell Grants to incarcerated people. Um, I know that we had private donations to supply iPads to those incarcerated to do work. COVID of course has been terrible for everybody to try and do education, but I think it's really something worth bragging about. And I hope you are because here you are on KRCL that we are kind of a trendsetter in Utah for um, prison education. I hope so. I think we've, we need, I, th I think we're definitely, um, you know, we're doing dual enrollment for youth in yeah. custody in Utah. That's certainly unique. Um, to your point, Salt Lake Community College is a second chance Pell site. Um, and everyone who is incarcerated will be eligible for the Pell Grant starting next year. So, you know, I think we're at a, we're at an opportune time to kind of get ahead of this and to try to help do this work really well. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited to be along for the ride. Uh, I think the new, the legislation that just passed by Representative Snow to bring the Council on Corrections and Higher Education, I think will be, will be really helpful in elevating, um, elevating this work as well. Aaron Castro, thank you. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. And maybe when there's some more good news, we should have you back and talk some more about this because it seems like this is a burgeoning growing program that I think is just fantastic. So thank you. Happy for to, and I'd love to get some of our alumni on too, because they're the, they're the experts. Yeah, very good. Aaron Castro is the outgoing and current, at least for now, director of the University of Utah Prison Education Project. Somebody else will be stepping into that role. Aaron is also the, an associate dean of Community Engagement and Access Undergraduate Studies, and on top of that, an Associate Professor, Higher Education, Educational Leadership and Policy. Aaron, thanks. Thank you so much. Wow, next on the show, I wanna just jump into this. Union Strong at Starbucks. You know, I'm busy thinking of Norma Ray. Um, I'm busy thinking of all this union activity all over the country, and it's happening right here in Utah at Cottonwood Heights Starbucks. Two local baristas are going to join us. They have led this union push at the Cottonwood Heights store. And trust me, they are not stopping there. So Jacob Lawson, welcome to the show. Hello, hello. I am so excited to be here. Oh, my pleasure. And Brittany Glazier, if I have your last name correct. Yeah, that's correct. Thank you. Hi. My, hi. So you are both Utah, you, you are both Utahns. Um, mm -hmm. Jacob, you're born and raised West Jordan. Uh, people mm -hmm. will recognize your name from running for city council. You've been yeah. at Starbucks for four years. Yeah. You're in college in biochemistry. Mm -hmm. um, and it seems that, you know, what's been going on on Starbucks back e at Starbucks back East has kind of been a spark for you. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, this entire union, movement started because I was watching what was going on in Buffalo and I simply yeah. just brought it up to our uh, team every day. I was like, oh my God, did you guys hear about, you know, uh, the Buffalo store unionized and then as the movement grew and there were more stores in Buffalo and then it went to Mesa, Arizona and, you know, we just had a win in Knoxville, Tennessee. It went to Seattle. It's just, it's, you know, 
passing like wildfire all over the country and we're we're super excited about it oh it's going farther than the smell of roasting coffee beans um, oh for sure Brittany, uh, you say that you were born into a strong union family, so you've been around union events for all your life. You also paint, you sing, uh, you've worked at different Starbucks, you know, stores for a couple years, uh, and you and you have family members also at, at Starbucks employees. Yeah. Long-term Starbucks employees. <laughs> so... You've always been drawn to activism. Clearly, Jacob, you've got a spark and a fire going. But before we jump into the union side, because that's what I really want to ask about, but I just have to inquire, it's not easy to make a great dry cappuccino. So tell me about your work. I'll tell you my secret. Okay. You gotta do less milk. Yeah. The secret <laughs> to getting a good dry cappuccino is, is in our steam peach in our steam pitchers, excuse me, they have lions for each size. And what we do is we do this, the smallest yeah. size cup, we fill it up with that milk, and then we just hold it and we just aerate it the entire yeah. time. They say like mm -hmm. six to eight seconds. We have found that it, it has to be longer just to simply get it super dry, like some people ask. I feel like our work is fulfilling just because of the amount of community outreach and, and connection we get to have just by, you know, selling coffee. I mean, I meet so many people through my job that I probably wouldn't have met otherwise. And I enjoy being able to make every day, every day better for someone. Well, and it seems like if, if somebody enjoys your dry cappuccino, you'll probably see them again tomorrow. And yeah, it, it's sure. community building because it's like neighborhood growth also. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And you know, we have a lot of um, celebrities that come through yeah. our location in Cottonwood Heights, which is really nice. And it's just, really interesting getting to have relationships with what I would consider high profile individuals. You know, we haven't seen Post Malone in a while, but he's come through before. Um, we've had Heather Gray. She's, you know, one of the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. We have some lower tier celebrities. There's this gentleman named Daryl who has like 25,000 followers on Instagram and produces music videos and stuff. And it's just really interesting seeing um, such support from you know, who I would consider to be the wealthy and more yeah. 1% of Utah. And all of them are ecstatic and so excited for us. Really? That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. That the, the, <laughs> and I want to ask about the union backlash that we see from corporations. But when it comes to unionized Starbucks, you know, the, the, uh, the often media line is, well, gosh, you know, Starbucks, it's not all that different than a fast food job. It's a bunch of teenagers. They don't need all these benefits. What's the big deal? They're going to go get another job anyway. It seems to me, and I wonder what you think, that people just really don't understand what it means, what your work is. Yeah, I feel like it's just frustrating when they do say stuff like that because it's just coming from me and having family in Starbucks, like this can be a career for someone. And not only that, but everyone deserves to have benefits everyone deserves to feel comfortable and feel well compensated for their work and I think regardless of whether you sling burgers or you know bend sheet metal like you should be able to feel like you're taken care of by your employer yeah so. exactly and and we we certainly see that where there's a definitely a two-tier system are, are you both full-time at Starbucks? Yeah. yeah, yeah. The company wouldn't consider us full-time. The company actually says that there's no full-time employees. You know, you just get as many hours as you get, and that's how it is. 
because yeah, there's okay there. so there's no in other words the amount of hours you work doesn't impact whether you get health care or any other benefits it does so you have to okay. work 20 hours per week to qualify for benefits okay and i presume you're both over that threshold we yeah. are yeah. yeah with the union or with the union busting hour cuts that they've enforced recently um it's been kind of hard for some of my partners to stay above that line though and they're definitely worried yeah one of our one of our partners um named Tim, he's been receiving a lot of backlash and actually there's been um, quite a bit of ageism that he's been facing at our store. Um, and he went from about 20 hours a week down to six just because of the entire union busting effort. The company has cut hours nationwide because they are hemorrhaging money, paying attorney fees for, you know, all of the union busting they're going through. Uh, it would be nice if they would just give the money to all y'all. What's the starting right? point if, if you hire somebody new? What does somebody get to start at Starbucks? I'm pretty sure it's $12 it's even. $12, $12 now. When yeah. I started, it was $9.50. Mm -hmm. And then when I got my promotion, it was $11.50. I think me and her are at about $15.25 right now to be supervisors at the store. It's definitely gone up, but it was it seemed more like a satiation of like, people's need for the wages to be better instead of an actual like raise out of concern for the economic climate that we're in. Yeah, and a lot of this is just Howard Schultz trying to satiate us because of the union movement. They think that if they can make company base pay 15 an hour and that if they release this new benefits package that the movement will simply die down. But I, I don't think that's gonna be the case. And I think we will continue to see it grow across the country, especially here in Utah. Yeah, and, and Schultz again is back, I think is interim CEO. And, and yeah. Starbucks is a prime example of, you know, speaking out of, I wanna say both sides of the mouth, right? They claim they support mm -hmm. workers, but by God, there won't be any union over our dead coffee. Um, yeah. How many partners? Is there a is there a break off or a or a cut line for how many people would be represented by the union? Do do people would people have to work twenty hours to be represented or is no, that no no there's cut? there's no cutoff point okay. actually as long as you are employed and work at our store you will be represented by the union. The only people not represented by the union are going to be salaried right. individuals. So just our store manager basically. That's one person. Yeah. yeah. There's mm -hmm. one salaried person. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I worked in a union factory years and years and years and years ago, and you weren't, you couldn't qualify to join the union until 90 days. And they made mm -hmm. sure to fire a whole bunch of us at 89. So, mm -hmm. you know, we weren't, we couldn't join because we were out before the, anyway, that's a long time right. ago. That's so, unfortunate. No, nah, it's, it's, uh, well, it's just the deal. And I wonder, <clears throat> I've heard about Starbucks offering college education. Is that a benefit that they still offer? Yeah, that's actually the reason I'm studying biochemistry right now. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, it's been unfortunate. I've actually been reaching out to Arizona State because I've been watching the company fire a lot of union leaders um, just for small little infractions um, that could have even happened months ago. They got a partner who did uh, who was organizing the Arizona Mesa stores and they fired her yesterday for some ambiguous reason like she was like late a few late a few times like a few months ago so they're like okay you're fired now and um you know we're we're expecting for them to maybe Backlash. try try and do something like that because before they fired dahlia they they there's videos of her um 
you know, just absolutely getting berated and verbally abused. And it's just like a five minute video of her crying and being like, I work hard. I do my job. Like, why are you treating me this way? And we're, we're expecting to maybe get some of that ourselves from the company. Where, Where does your store manager fit into all this? Do you think he has any sympathy for the union effort or, or is he having to follow a corporate line or there's, there's definitely, I was under the impression that they were following a corporate line, but um, I, I, this could be part of the corporate line. You know, I'm sure the Littler Mendelssohn attorneys are absolutely cunning. And I, I would like to think that they have trained our manager to take accountability for all of their actions by telling me they're like, oh, well, I did my own research on this and I formulated my own opinions. And when they say awful egregious things, um, you know, actually, me and my manager got in a little bit of a argument the other day because I, I just was calling them out on their union busting. And they're like, I'm allowed to express my opinion when they're expressing their opinion by saying just misfactual and misleading things being telling, you know, our poor high schoolers that work at our store, if you guys unionize and you ever miss a shift, you'll get fined or we'll have to write you up or she's specific, uh, they've specifically targeted other people um, in our store being like, if you unionize, I won't be able to let you take care of your kid as well anymore. You won't be able to get your shifts covered and I can't be flexible or empathetic anymore. And just all of these things that, you know, aren't true, but they're being framed as their opinion which right, is definitely like, not their opinion. Right, you don't even have a contract yet, so you can't yeah. speak to any of that. Yeah. And it might seem obvious, and it might seem obvious, but corporations like Starbucks, like Amazon, are so rabidly anti-union. I mean, we haven't reached the point of shooting people on the streets like we saw in the 1930s in Detroit at the, at the Rouge plant or earlier at the Homestead Steelworks. We aren't quite to that level of violence, but man, it is so rabid. I'm, I'm almost, it's almost like a knee jerk response. It doesn't even seem yeah. real to me some days. Right. Yeah, no, it doesn't seem real to us We're either. We're trying to find a way to compartmentalize like the reason why a company with values like Starbucks have would be acting towards their partners the way that they are now it just makes no sense to me um you would think that they would have our best interests at heart but and you know at the end of the day it's a corporation and if i could talk to howard schultz right now i would just be like why 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 aren't you embracing this movement you know this is hurting your brand to union bus if you were to turn around and embrace the movement and lead the way and say we're not gonna fight unions you can do what you want you know it would show everyone that the company represents the values that it claims to. But, you know, they're getting caught lying about what they supposedly believe in all around the country right now. Yeah, well, someday maybe we can be more like a country like Germany where union representatives actually sit on the corporate boards, which I think- Yeah. Right now though, I have to let you go. So real quickly, last 30 seconds or so, I know you are involved with other stores in other states with the DSA. So tell me real quick about the DSA and that greater work you're doing. You know, the DSA has just been wonderful. We didn't even reach out to them. They reached out to us um, and they're just having us teach their members how to organize their own workplaces. And, you know, we're just utilizing them and having them spread the word about our store throughout the, throughout the States. And gathering people to stand with us, um, you know, just in, in any sort of activism that we can. Good. And remind, remind listeners who the DSA are. 
the Democratic Socialists of America. That uh, you know, if the listeners can't see, but I'm wearing a wonderful Bernie Sanders shirt, yes, yeah. and uh, that that's his party that he came from before he ran as a Democrat for president. So, is there a website or a way to contact to follow your activities and to and to show support? How should people do yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. So there's Starbucks. So it's going to be sbworkersunited.org. That's the main you know, national website for this entire movement, or you can follow me or Brittany um, on social media. I am just Jacob Robert Lawson. You can find me on Instagram or Facebook and follow me there to watch the movement or Brittany is punk awkward on um, Instagram and her uh, Facebook is just Brittany Glazier. Yeah, yeah. we'll be launching a um, Starbucks Chicago Heights Union um, social media so that everyone can keep updated with what happens with us. And when you get closer to contract time and actually negotiating, we've seen lots of corporations stonewall. So please come back. Let's talk about right. talk about. Oh, absolutely. We would love to come back. Well, Jacob, Brittany, thank you very much. You are both baristas at Cottonwood Heights Starbucks. Great to see the customer support. And uh, you go. Best wishes. Thank, thank you. you so thank much. you. Good being here. Bye-bye. Well, thank you for taking time to be with us. When we come back on Radioactive, after a quick break, Salt Lake Tribune reporter Sage Miller will join Laura Jones. They'll discuss some of the solutions proposed by high school debaters, all from her latest report about the Great Salt Lake. And two of those debaters will join the discussion. And after all, it's their future. Let's pass them the mic. And just for our union organizers today on KRCL Radioactive, Billy Bragg, there's power in a union. It's been a long winter, but here comes springtime. Getting excited to get out. It's time to get out. We have to see the mountains and the prairies and the whole rest of that song. The return of the KRCL record sale will be coming up. Hopefully, we can gather and share some music. But right now, we're looking for donations. Maybe you got a box of old records in the attic or the basement, and maybe it's time to donate them to a good cause, your community radio station. And we can pass them on to the next music lover so they can enjoy your 33 and a third treasures. Get with Eric, Eric N at krcl.org. That would be nice. As many as 2 million people have been displaced in Ukraine. The Utah Ukrainian Association has a list of ways you can help. Find them on Facebook under the handle Love Ukrainians or the Connect page of krcl.org. KRCL Spring Radiothon starts April 22nd. That's right, Earth Day. If you're planning to donate already, why not do it right now at krcl.org? In honor of Earth Day, why not plant a tree for a one-time donation of $100? Let's kick off Radiothon right and head into Earth Day with half a forest ready to plant. Donate now at krcl.org. Thanks. Flower said I wish I and you guys have been bringing stuff down to the station. Thank you so much. This is Laura Jones. Radioactive is the program. And coming up at 7 o'clock tonight, it is Democracy Now!, followed by Liz Schulte in her new time slot, Rude Awakening at 8 p.m., two hours of Pumpkin Ska. And then Maximum Distortion with Cody D. and Forgash at 10.30, Utah's longest-running heavy metal show. John Florence starting your brand-new day at 6 a.m. You can find the programming lineup online at krcl.org. Click the Programs tab, uh, kind of in the left-hand corner. 
and you can listen to the last two weeks of any show on demand, including this one. Still to come, we're going to talk with policy debaters about the future of the Great Salt Lake. Sage Miller from the Salt Lake Tribune is here. But last night, if you're listening to the show, you heard our friend Sadie say that she was getting ready to walk out of West High with some of her peers over what lawmakers have done to transgender girls and youth sports. Hey, Sadie, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Not bad. Thanks for coming down to report back on what happened. So at 10.08, first period ended, and what happened? Mm-hmm. Um, so we had all the speakers, and uh, me and the other cool organizer, we all met downstairs to talk about what was going to happen before we went out. Uh, we went outside, and we started directing people to like where we wanted them to stand because we wanted the area where speakers were going to be to be clear. Um, and then once everyone had come outside, we... Um, had like started lining people up and we started with our first speaker and then uh, we had like seven or eight speakers and in between each one we did like five minutes of chants so we chanted things like HV11 sucks and (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it was very clean yeah you guys are chanting that is actually what we chanted (laughs) which is pretty funny Um, and like trans youth are valid and that trans youth belong in sports so, you know, let's give a shout out to your co-organizer, first of all, Sadie. Yeah. Um, so their name is Mar Ariano. Hopefully I said that right. Um, and they came to me with the idea to do a walkout on the 25th when the governor's veto was overridden. Okay. And then you walked out today at West High around 10.08. How many folks walked out? Because... You know, you're breaking some rules. How many folks were willing to put that on the line? Yeah, we had a ton of people. Um, administrator had told an administrator had told me it was like around a thousand, um, but it was an amazing turnout, and we were just so thrilled with how many people came. And how did the school administration respond to your walkout? Actually, they were so kind and supportive, which I was thrilled by because I think part of it is because I'm friends with a lot of my administrators. <laughs> um, but. It was really good. Um, In fact, one of the administrators came up to me at the end of the protest and was like, thank you so much for communicating with us. And we feel like this went perfect because we had all the information and like we're able to provide provide exactly the security we needed. It was perfect. It was about an hour. Mm -hmm. And did you make any demands or was it more about making your voices heard? No, it was more about making our voices heard just because like there's not really much that the legislature can do at this point. And it's hard to. They could take it back. I mean, (laughs) that would be great uh, if they would do that. Um, But it's just hard because it's like there are just so few things to do now because like not only did they vote for it, but they voted to repeal the veto. So it's like they voted for it twice and it worked both times. So it's just hard to be like, here's what we can do to move forward, you know. So HB 11 was passed by the legislature back in the last uh, hours. This ban was at the literally last hours, the last day of the general mm-hmm. session of the Utah legislature. Then Governor Cox vetoed it. Then they met in special session and overrode the veto, making a ban on transgender girls in particular from competing in middle school and high school sports. What do your peers have to say about that? Obviously, quite a few walked out with you. Yeah, um, just that it's incredibly harmful and it's terrible that the legislature would spend time and money on pursuing an idea and a bill that's so just offensive Mm, yeah troy williams who used to have my job now as head of equality utah has Mm -hmm. been tweeting about you know history which is the more the status quo opposes uh civil rights for lgbtq plus the more quickly it makes it happen so do you have some hope for the future you and your peers i do just because i think like (laughs) people in my generation always say like how many times we've heard unprecedented times in our lives is unprecedented Um, (laughs) so I just think that like 
because of what we've seen in government and politics that it's like raising this new generation of people who are like so involved because we have to be um but also because we want to be you know and like change what the future looks like so you're a junior Mm -hmm. 16 17 right i am 16 yeah there you go uh, gonna get registered to vote as soon as you can. Absolutely. <laughs> and I, I think that might be what scares lawmakers a bit is the next generation. So you're gonna stay involved, engaged? Oh yeah, definitely. Okay. What are your plans? Um, oh, man, that's hard. Just cause like the future is so murky. But um, one thing that I had said today is like continue to fight for transgender and non-binary youth to get the bathrooms that they deserve and they need because that's like a huge problem throughout the state and honestly the whole world but (laughs) especially the state and so that's kind of like my next thing that's your next thing well please uh come back anytime you got something going on yeah shaking things up at west high Mm -hmm. sadie and i have had um probably relative years on before stipic nelson did i say that right uh nelson stipic nelson stipic i wrote it backwards but the stipic i got right so nelson (laughs) yeah sadie stip state I'm going to do this right, so when I do a clip and, and share it in the next week, I get it right. So okay, Sadie, I love it. Sadie Nelson Civic, student organizer at West High. Thanks so mm-hmm. much. Keep up the good work. Thank you. All right. She's going to stay with us, but we're going to pass the microphone to a fellow West High student. Ishan Sharma is here. Hi, Ishan. How are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you? And to your left, radio left from Roland Hall, we have Layla Hajawi. Hi. Doing well. Two policy debaters who are here with us along with Salt Lake City Tribune, Salt Lake Tribune reporter Sage Miller. How you doing? Welcome back. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me back. And thanks for getting the debaters to join us here. Yeah, shout out to their coaches for responding to me so rapidly. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason they're here is because of your most recent story. First of all, you're an Innovation Lab reporter for the Tribune. Explain what that is. Yeah, so the Innovation Lab at the Tribune is a new kind of entity part of it that is focused on solution-oriented journalism. Um, about the biggest challenges facing Utah. So Mm -hmm. among those, right, um, climate change, unaffordable housing, the fact that the Great Salt Lake is declining at a rapid rate, and can we save it? Yeah. And then we uh, both belong to this new collaborative of solutions journalism, the Great Salt Lake Collaborative, a solutions journalism initiative where our collective aim is to partner across news organizations, education, and media groups, and inform our listeners, our viewers, our readers about the Great Salt Lake. So where did this idea for this story come from tying the Great Salt Lake and solutions to policy debate in high school? Yeah, so uh, I guess full disclosure, I was involved in debate both in high school and in college and coach. So about 10 years of my life has been dedicated to this really incredible activity. And uh, actually, I can't take full credit for this idea. I was chatting with my good friend and former debater, Khalid Sharif, and he was like, hey, Sage, did you know that the policy debate topic this year, the high school policy debate topic is all about protecting water resources? And I said, where have I been? (laughs) Like, I didn't actually know this at all. And I was like, I want to write a story about this because not just coaching, but being involved in debate, I recognized that we were doing a lot of research and really in-depth research about solutions and just very innovative and unique ways to solve problems that people in positions of power weren't. And so the moment where I connected the two of solutions journalism and policy debaters, I was like, they they got it. Additionally, not only are they doing all this research and coming up with these ideas that politicians aren't, they are the future. They are the ones that are going to be taking over. They're the ones that are going to be handed off with this problem of the declining Great Salt Lake or unaffordable housing or whatnot so I was like we should we should pick their brains a little bit we should report on what debaters are talking about because 
their solutions or is what's going to travel on uh, for future generations, for their generations. Well, and in your story, we'll put a link in the show notes tonight, folks, so you can read Paige's work, Before Water Runs Dry, You to High Schoolers Debate Solutions for Their Future. In it, you, you share a poster that uh, was being used to recruit new policy debaters, and it says, join speech and debate they did. And there's famous names in there. There's there's Paul Rudd, there's Oprah, on and on and on, Zach Efron. So, you know, really trying to connect the dots because, as I recall in high school, policy wasn't exactly the sexiest club, so to speak. Yeah, it's not. Right? <laughs> yeah. But when you look back, at, when you go to your 40th high school reunion, you look at the folks who have been successful, there's a lot of policy debaters Yeah, there. a bunch of just people involved in speech and debate in general. I think it's a vastly undervalued activity. Uh, and it needs more recognition, and it definitely needs more funding because, just like that poster says, these individuals are coming up with unique ideas, and they are the faces of the future future so pour money into the individuals who are doing intellectual activities okay so i want to explain a little bit how policy debate works and some of the unique exercises involved but let's talk with uh, ishan sharma from west high and leila hijawi from roland hall and find out why the two of you got involved in debate and was it your first year are you repeat debaters ishan so i originally when i was looking at the list of elections for middle school at west my dad told me he did debate in high school so i should try it as well I tried, um, we had great coaching from alumni, uh, at the time alumni, middle schoolers that were now high schoolers at West that were like Kenji Aoki, for example, who were really helpful in developing us as policy debaters. We had a lot of success mm-hmm. in middle school and I just stuck with it. You did? So you wanted to do it. You were seeking it out. Okay. All right, Layla, how about you? Yeah, so my story is a little bit different. Um, My school also had a debate elective, which is how I was initially introduced to the activity. But after I did that as a sixth grader, I was like, okay, enough for me. But my parents, I I have to give the credit to them, really pushed for me to keep doing debate. And I begrudgingly, I stuck with it. But I think as the years went on, I realized it's such a valuable activity. I started to find my place within the activity. And it really made me want to stick with it because I think like the a theme of this night is it's a way for us to engage in change making and to teach ourselves the skills to be change makers and that was something that was really appealing to me and also just being able to engage in intellectual discussions for two hours is a pretty unique experience so I ended up sticking with it as well. It's that critical critical thinking skills that we bemoan quite a bit in our they got them on lock like they they got them yeah well one of the unique things about being a policy debater is this the speed aspect of it say yeah that's part of the what makes it a unique but also competitive um I'm sure that you have a clip but yeah I do this is what part of your story what are we hearing here they, uh, the, what, what kind of topic are they talking about? No, right just now? why are they talking so fast? Oh. It sounds like, you know, hey, 450, 50, cow yeah, here, cow like here. Auctioneers yeah. in training, right? Um, so I'm actually unsure about the history of why debated started to speed, uh, speak, speak so quickly, but from my understanding, the reason why debaters talk so quickly is because they only have uh, X amount of time and they want to just shove as many arguments mm-hmm. as humanly possible into that time allotment. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a strategy, it's a strategy point. Well, Leila and Ishan, I'm looking at another clip here that I'm just going to play because there's multiple people. And y'all have pens in your mouth, so articulation and speed is key to policy debate, Ishan? So a lot of, when you're speaking fast, the debate still, or the judge still has to understand the debate and write down notes of what you're saying. But if you're not at least clear when you're speaking that fast, it becomes really hard to be able to do that. So pen drills and other drills that 
help with articulation or with like tongue movement your the like gaps you have between your words really help with that yeah Layla yeah I think Ishan really hit it there it's you I think a lot of people get caught up with the speed of policy debate but at the same time we want what we're saying to be heard and have it be articulate because the content is still more important than the quantity at the end of the day and if you can't have that content be understood then there's not really a point to going super fast so like in boxing where judges are looking for uh, points to award you the policy debater judges are listening for, to what you have to say and if they can't understand it they can't give you the points all right so the topic was about water issues and here we are in a high desert a mega drought the great salt lake shrinking every day did you feel like you had a, a leg up Layla yeah because I think as we start to gather evidence as we started to gather that early I mean even in the summer starting in June the first thing that you notice is man a lot of these solutions are talking about not just Utah but it's talking about the Great Salt Lake specifically talking about the Wasatch area um, so yes I think in terms of proximity to the topic we all have personal experience with how drought and changes in the hydrological cycle are impacting our own lives and the own state that we live in which just made it a lot more personal well and sage and i are interested in the solutions to share with our readers and our our audience so let's dig in you don't have to go for speed <laughs> but i want to know some of what you found that surprised you and some of the solutions Layla, why don't you start yeah, so the thing that's fascinating about policy debate is that it really tends to focus on the national scale. Every single resolution starts with the United States federal government should. So I think a lot of people get caught up with what can I individually do, which of course it's important, shorten your showers, like you can think about zero escaping your lawn, but at the end of the day, I think what a lot of us high school debaters found is we need to be holding these entities based in the federal government and these big national entities with the funding, the resources, and the capabilities to initiate these solutions, and we need to hold them accountable and encourage those solutions to occur on the federal national level, because at the end of the day, even though we're talking about Utah now, these water issues are occurring across the country. It's not a single state phenomenon, so we need to be focusing on national solutions that we can carry out, carry out en masse and basically start getting those. And that can start with individuals, but it shouldn't just be on individual citizens. We should also be holding our political officials accountable as well. Ishan. Well, debate and policy especially is known for, you know, the extinction impacts and always talking about those global impacts as well. And so if we were to focus on the state level, it becomes hard to win debates because you need to convince that the United States federal government can set a precedent for other countries and treaties and organizations to be able to deal with similar issues. Um, there were a lot of interesting things that came across. Uh, even like regionally, a lot of scholars of the EU were putting out a lot of information about tribal rights and their jurisdiction over their waterlands. And um, there was also a lot of literature around, you know, just the way water, especially just in the United States, can affect bigger global things like climate change and biodiversity. So. All right, we're talking with policy debaters and the issue of the Great Salt Lake. We have in studio with us Ishan Sharma from West High and Layla Hajawi from Roland Hall and Salt Lake Tribune reporter Sage Miller, whose latest story, Before Water Runs Dry, Utah High Schoolers Debate Solutions for the Future, is now online at sltrib.com. We'll put a link in the show notes. 
But Sage, as you're, you know, geeking out, as I'm sure you did, about policy debaters and what they're working on, what solutions did you find that you included in your story? Yeah, uh, there was a there's a plethora, and I really, really wish I could have included all of them, but I promised you nobody wanted to read an article that long. <laughs> and I thought, and the thing that's that, one of the challenges, right, yeah. of conveying solutions is is getting people to stick with the story. Sure, yeah, and um, and part of this too was I had to make I wanted to make it an interactive article. So if you do look at that, you see videos of the kids debating um, or doing speed drills. You hear audio clips of them um, talking about like why debate is important, what the solutions they have. You have gifts of them, like there's photos. Like it's a really fun article, so I would recommend not to like toot my own horn, but toot toot. Mm-hmm. Um, but additionally, uh, back to the solutions is that when I was talking to these debaters, a lot of the examples of wanting to spearhead solutions came from Utah, like what Layla was saying. One of the quotes I have in that article is like, why are we, why are we growing such water intensive cro- like crops in, a, like in the high desert, right? Um, but one of the solutions that I thought was incredibly fascinating came from Salem Hills' Tate Roberts, and he was talking about how NASA does a lot of work to keep track of algae blooms and talk at algae bloom, toxic algae blooms, and having all of that data around and talks about how we could actually clean up Utah Lake with the help of NASA and being able to kind of restore the the like livability the, the the viability of such lakes and so I thought that was incredibly fascinating um a second one too is what actually Ashan and his partner Sterling came up with which is this idea of cloud seeding and I'll let him take the mic yeah, he can explain it. it better Sean cloud seeding you know I hear a lot of uh con- you know uh controversial takes on cloud seeding and pe- people seeing contrails in the sky so what'd you find out and how does it apply to the Great Salt Lake so uh, it was actually my sophomores that kind of saw this argument floating around. And so they brought it to me and I looked over. And for me, the most interesting part was a lot of debaters are trying to find through water a solution to s- fix climate change, right? Like find the root cause or the biggest, you know, whether it's methane emissions from dams or whatever it is. Um, the best part about cloud seeding that I noticed is that it allows us to not focus on the root cause of climate change, but rather the effects that climate change has and try to diminish them as much as possible while we have uh, other technology like carbon capture storage, for example, get developed so that we can extend that period. That's very cool. So are you pro-cloud seeding now? Well, yeah. After reading all (laughs) of it, I thought maybe if it's not even just being pro-cloud seeding, just if the government could fund uh, a lot more um, into the research for that so that we can find out whether or not it's really useful because not a lot of data exists right now on cloud seeding. It's pretty new and governments are refusing to, you know, funnel money into it, even though we definitely should because it's super interesting and it doesn't just help with climate. It also helps with crop regulation and a lot of other stuff. Very cool. Leila, you have any uh, solutions you want to throw out on the table from your research? Because unlike uh, sports competition in high school, which has a season, this is year round, correct? Yeah. So I think something that Sage brought up, we went over so many different solutions to different water issues. And there are so many different ways to think about what what even is a water issue. But um, relevant to Utah, something that we focused on very early in the year was um, discussing agricultural subsidies. So right now, the federal government invests subsidies or pays subsidies to farmers and basically incentivizes them to grow certain crops. And a lot of those crops tend to be very water intensive. In Utah, a really good example is we grow a ton of alfalfa in southern Utah. And where does it go? And it basically goes into 
livestock. So mm -hmm. it's it's a difficult issue because you can't just say, oh, you can't farm alfalfa anymore because that those crops and in other areas of the country, it's soy or wheat or corn because those crops are being used for something. And in addition to that, we're seeing the federal government is basically paying these farmers to farm unsustainably, which is a huge issue. And that's where there has to be this intersection of local efforts and local response to these water issues um, in conjunction with federal response where we have the federal government maybe start diverting some of those subsidies to some more sustainable irrigation or straight up what are you growing and where are you growing it where can we change the location and geography of these crops um, in addition to local efforts that are focused on very like grassroots um, efforts to change farming practices. And you start touching subsidies, subsidies so you start touching uh, farmers' profit margins, too. So I'm curious, does any of this data, I mean, you spent this year gathering all this information, make you want to go and talk to your uh, lawmakers and say, hey, I found out this information? Uh, have any of you thought about that or are going to do any of that? Layla? Yeah, I think it's definitely, it definitely makes you want to go to lawmakers. I think you bring up profit margin, but when you look at the data, you're, we're finding that this form of agriculture is actually so unsustainable there's actually a net profit loss for farmers because they're fighting like these weather systems and these water systems that are set up th that are not set up utah is not ready to grow super or not capable of growing super water intensive crops so yes i think it does inspire a lot of high schoolers like myself and ishan to seek out lawmakers or political officials in our area and maybe start sending letters or doing whatever you can to reach out because when you look at the cold hard data and the evidence which is that's what debate's all about you realize that these are problems that could be solved it's just almost as if the government or um, whoever is in charge either isn't aware of these solutions or they're not willing to invest in these solutions, which is why I think the pressure from locals like ourselves is so important to push these officials to initiate these solutions. Sean, you want to add anything? Yeah, especially about what Leila just mentioned when it comes to farmers. And there's a lot of one of my favorite skills from debate is this idea of not just you know, being self-centered and knowing what you're saying, but also trying to understand what the other person's arguing and try to understand where they're coming from. Um, there's a lot of literature, especially around like farmers in California and how they're struggling when these, like Lila mentioned, these water policies that on first glance kind of seem to benefit the farmers actually end up hurting them in the long run because this is water that they really want to be using in other parts of their um, agriculture and growth and also realizing that when eventually droughts hit and they're the ones that suffer the most so getting to realize that like these new policies aren't really the best and it would be really nice for us debaters who have spent a whole year not just researching water at large but specific parts um, for us to be able to communicate these ideas, especially with the vast amount of data that we have behind it to our lawmakers. It's a huge resource, Sage. Yeah. All right, so uh, Ish Ishan Sharma, West High, shout out to your, your debate team. Any names you want to mention, and how'd you do this year? Uh, so we've qualified to the Tournament of Champions, uh, two teams actually from West. So uh, in policy, but also in other events, that uh, we also qualified a couple of teams to the TOC, and the TOC is this prestigious tournament held by the University of Kentucky. Uh, unfortunately, it's online this year, but that's a super big uh, accomplishment that kind of every debater uh, hopes to achieve. And so 
getting to do that, those are probably some of our best accomplishments okay. this year. Great. And what are your plans? You're a junior. You got some time. Um, I'm looking at obviously continuing debate throughout my senior year, and hopefully getting to debate for the university I attend. But yeah, that's what I'm looking at right now. Wonderful. And what do you want to go into? You think? Uh, I want to do computer science and hopefully law school afterwards. I think that's my plan. All right. Ishan Sharma, West High. Layla Hijawi from Roland Hall. How, what was your region? What's your team? How'd you do? Yeah, well, first of all, huge congratulations to West High. We love seeing Utah teams have success, su success on the national level. But for Roland Hall, we had a great year. Um, I'm so proud of everyone on the team, but specifically um, in Utah, we just attended the state uh, championship for the 1A through the 3A regions in Utah, so it's all three. Um, and Roland Hall successfully defended our championship title. We are, again, state champions, which is great news for the team and wouldn't have been possible without our coach, Mike Shackelford, who's invested a ton of time in this tournament. So that's great. Um, we also, myself and my partner, qualified for national championships through the National Speech and Debate Association. But yeah, definitely want to shout out that state championship performance because every single person on the team, without them, that would not have been possible. Congratulations to both of you. And tell us, as a junior, what are you looking forward to doing? And what are yeah. your thoughts? So I'm very, very similar to Sean. Um, I'm hoping to continue debating through senior year and then getting into a university that has a debate team just because I think it's such a valuable and fun activity. Um, and for myself, I'm hoping to study political science primarily. I think it comes with debate since that's kind of all we talk about. <laughs> but I think also, yeah, maybe either minoring and having some studies in computer science would be great because I think there's a lot of intersection between tech and politics nowadays. Well, you got to analyze the data, right? Yeah, you of visualize course. visualize it, exactly. sift, sift it, get some ideas going on. Thank you so much, both of you, for coming in and sharing your thoughts with us, and best of luck. Uh, you're going to be doing it again next year, so let's you know see you again in a year, find out what the topic is. In fact, Sage, I think you know what it is next year, right? Yeah, I know it's something about NATO. That's about the extent of my knowledge. <laughs> I tried to look it up and then failed. But yeah. um, it's going to be pretty relevant. There's going to be a lot of yeah. politics disadvantages. Uh, yeah, shout out Ukraine. All right, so please, and if you want to come in as you're formulating your arguments and try some of it on the air, we'd love to have you step up to the mics again, okay? Yeah, thank you so much. You're welcome. Yep, thank thank you. you. All right. Sage, where can people find your work? Uh, Salt Lake, the sltrib.com. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What are you working on next? Um, right now, I'm actually working on a story about Utah's uh, tendency to evict people without cause. So Ooh, that's relevant. something. Yeah, very relevant. A lot of... Specifically, large development, it seems, are terminating people's lease at the end and already, you know, finding tenants ahead of time before people are even leave and increasing and jacking up the price just like an extraordinary amount of money. Well, please come back when you have that story ready to go. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'm here for you. Right. <laughs> Thank you so much. And you have a radio background, right? I do. Anytime yeah. you want to fill in for me, you let me know. Oh my gosh, you let me know. <laughs> Mutual Appreciation Society, Sage Miller, Salt Lake Tribune. Check the show notes tonight for a link to her latest story, which was the basis for a conversation tonight. Before water runs dry, Utah high schoolers debate solutions for the future. And, of course, this panel conversation, part of our commitment to the Great Salt Lake Collaborative, a solutions journalism initiative, where our collective aim is to partner across news, education, and media groups to inform all of you about the Great Salt Lake and what you can do to address its ever-evaporating waterline. I'm Laura Jones. Thanks to Nick Burns 
and all of you for plugging into your community with us tonight on Radioactive. Have a great night. We'll see you tomorrow. KRCL 90.9 FM, HD1, Salt Lake City, Ogden, Provo, 96.7 FM in Park City, and on the web at krcl.org. Are your jet skiing days in the past? Do you have a boat that won't float? A scooter that quit scooting? How about a car or truck that just won't go? Our friends over at Cars, Inc. can turn your unwanted modes of transportation into a tax-deductible donation. No fees, no hassle, and you get to help power your community radio station. Visit the support tab at krcl.org for details on donating.